Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading um, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. And since the kids are all in today, I thought I could do with some help up here. So I've got Matilda and Josiah who are going to read this with me. So if you want to turn to page 830 in your Bibles, we're going to read. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the plate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. A while back I used to work in a really busy pharmacy that had quite a large staff team. But what none of us on the staff team realised was that one of us was actually working against the rest of us. For some reason this person, she didn't like the pharmacy or she didn't like our boss and she didn't like the rest of us but we didn't we didn't know that at the time and so we were completely unprepared for what happened we found out later on that she was doing things behind the scenes to damage the pharmacy but by the time we found out it was too late she um her job was to look after the the uh photo developing machine that this pharmacy had in it and um so it was her job to mix up all the chemicals that had to then be put into the machine But one day she suddenly quit her job. But first she mixed up a particularly bad batch of chemicals and labelled the container incorrectly so that when someone added them to the machine it destroyed the entire thing. And we knew it was deliberate because she'd written on the bottom of um, the container, Merry Christmas. She did enormous damage to that pharmacy. And even though, you know, it was very clear that she'd done the wrong thing, there was actually no way to prove that it was her and so she got away with it and that expensive machine was completely destroyed. Now, I was was actually just a um, a high school kid at that time. It was before I was a a pharmacist myself. But I reckon I learnt a few important lessons from what happened to my poor boss. And probably the most important lesson is this one. If you've got someone who's working against you, it's best to know it. Otherwise, they can do enormous damage to you. Well, today, Paul tells us that we've got someone working against us 
and that we really, really need to know it. As Craig said, we've come to the, the end of the letter to the Ephesians and along the way we've, we've seen some amazing and some beautiful things. One week Dave Harrington, when he preached, described it like a diamond, that we've been looking at a diamond from all different angles. We've seen God's plan for his world, that his world is all about Jesus being the head of this world and that somehow we, the church, amazingly, are caught up in that plan that Jesus is head over the entire universe for our sake. We've seen just how wonderful the church is called to be. We're supposed to be a united family that lives in harmony with each other, a people who also are living in purity. We've seen that we're called to be a new society brought together by Jesus himself giving himself up for us. Last week we saw that this means that we're called to be a people who surrender our rights and so like Jesus our Lord, we too give ourselves up for the sake of others. Even our marriages and our families are are to be modelled off Christ's love and sacrifice. It all sounds fantastic. But have you had moments, you know, I think I had even mid-sermon, where you sort of look around and you think, okay, here in this gym, it just just sounds too good to be true. You know, it, it sounds great, but it, it just doesn't sound possible. A church like what we've seen described in Ephesians, it, it just sounds unrealistic. And a marriage, like we heard described last week, just sounds impossible. It sounds like we're just dreaming. All these things, that, these beautiful things that, that we're called to be and to do, why is it that they're so hard? You know, why is unity so hard to maintain? Why is it so hard to actually be pure? Why is it hard to give ourselves to other people like Jesus has given himself for us? Why is marriage so hard and why is obeying your parents so hard? Well, Paul finishes his letter by telling us, telling us something that we really, really need to know about why these things are so hard. Look at verse 10. Again, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is our first point. To stand firm, we need to know our fight is against the devil. We need to know that we've got an enemy who's doing everything he can to stop us from standing firm with Jesus. And here in this this part of God's word to us, God is is protecting us from three very real dangers. The first danger for us is that we would simply dismiss our enemy. We could do that either by denying that the devil even exists or just by thinking that he's not a real threat. The French poet Charles Baudelaire wrote in a short story, the finest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist. And so many people believe this today. So many people believe that the devil doesn't exist. And the devil loves that. 
I reckon it'd be pretty easy for us to fall into this trap as well. Our society tells us that it's ridiculous to believe in a spiritual, evil, personal being. When I first moved um, to Wagga for uni, I, um, I was boarding with another guy and the church he went to, the minister there didn't believe that the devil exists. And in some ways, it wasn't surprising to also learn later on that the the youth minister there lived with her boyfriend as well. See, if we dismiss our enemy, we open ourselves up to all kinds of dangers. But even if we do believe that the devil exists, kind of like as a badge of orthodoxy, but then never give him any more thought after that, still, we open ourselves up to danger. See, sometimes people think like this and maybe even I've thought like this at different times too Jesus has defeated the devil therefore we don't need to worry about him now it's true that Jesus has defeated the devil and it's true that we don't need to fear him but it's very clear here that we can't afford to ignore him we still need to stand firm even though Jesus has won the victory We need to stand firm with Jesus, which means we face an up-close struggle. Walking God's way, as we've been looking at over the last few weeks, it means hand-to-hand combat with the devil for the rest of our lives. I've noticed a bit of a trend from watching my um, kids sport over the years, that... um, they're far more likely to lose the game when they dismiss the other team. When, when their team's saying, oh, we'll easily beat them, that's when things seem to go wrong. It's, it's always better, it seems to me, to take the other team seriously. And it's the same for us here. We need to take the danger seriously. The devil is trying to pull us away from following Jesus. But he can't hurt us unless we're so naive so unprepared, so lazy, so confident, overconfident and undisciplined that we let him. The first danger is to dismiss our enemy. The second danger is to miss the front on which he fights. What I mean is that we could believe in the devil, we could take him seriously as a threat, but we could then totally miss where he attacks us. This final part of of the letter that that we've read today is actually summarising the whole of the letter. Paul's not jumping from telling us how to walk God's way step by step to suddenly talking about something completely different here. That's not what he's doing. Paul's not leaving behind the practical earthly details to talk about theoretical spiritual realities... Instead, he's saying that the practical earthly details of walking God's way through life, step by step, really is a spiritual struggle. The front on which the devil is going to attack us is all the things that we've already seen in this letter. He tries to break down our unity. He tries to rebuild the walls, the barriers between us that Jesus has torn down. He tries to stop us from serving each other and from helping others to grow more like Christ. The devil doesn't want us to speak the truth in love or to deal with our anger. 
The devil hates to see people fleeing sexual immorality and he tries his hardest to get us to believe that it's okay to walk in darkness. He tries to stop us from submitting to one another and he tries to make us selfish in our marriages and in our families. When I was a kid, I went to a, a church that completely missed this. I think I've told you along the, along the way, I've gone, I went to some pretty crazy churches as a kid. But the church, that I, this particular church that I went to, they'd make us walk up and down the church in a line, all together, fighting the devil. And it wasn't the all-ages spot. <laughs> now, they missed completely the front on which the devil attacks us. Don't make, it, don't make the same mistake of thinking that the ordinary things don't matter. They are of supernatural significance in God's eyes. There's no such thing as cheap unity or cheap purity. We struggle against the devil when we struggle to flee sexual immorality, when we struggle to speak the truth, that's a struggle against the devil. When we struggle to say sorry, when we struggle to serve other people, this is where the battle is fought. The Christian life is a struggle from the day we start believing till the day we die or Jesus returns. So the first danger is to dismiss our enemy. The second danger is to miss the the front on which he attacks us. The third danger is to try and fight the devil in our own strength and with our own weaponry. We could know the devil is real, we could know the front he attacks us on, but it would be a mistake if we thought we could stand firm against him with our own willpower or tactics. Look again at what Paul says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then in in verse 11 and and 13, we're called to put on the armour of God, the armour that God provides. And this brings us to our second point. To stand firm in this fight, we need to put on the armour that God has given us. Now, remember that Paul is a prisoner in Rome when he's writing this letter. He's under house arrest, so he's guarded there by a Roman soldier. And he, he uses the defences of the Roman soldier as a metaphor for how we should stand firm against the devil. I don't know if the soldier at times sort of felt a bit awkward with Paul's eyes on him, sort of checking him out as he went, ran through all the different items. But he uses this Roman soldier as a metaphor for the kind of defences we need to stand firm against the devil. We see this in verses 14 to 17 where Paul says that what protects us against the devil is truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation and the Holy Spirit speaking to us the word of God. Now all this armour that Paul's running through here, we've already been introduced to it actually across the whole of the letter to the Ephesians, we've seen it. But let's have a look at this this first bit of armour that Paul talks about, truth. In verse 14 he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. But how exactly do we do this? You know, how do we wrap ourselves with the truth? And actually with each bit of armour that we come across, we we face the same question. What exactly does it look like to put on the armour of God? We're not told exactly here in this passage, are we? But by keeping the whole of the book of Ephesians in mind, well, we know what it looks like. 
We put on God's armour when we know what that bit of armour is, when we value it, and then when we walk in it. That's what we've seen across Ephesians. So we put on truth when we know the truth, when we value it, and then when we walk in truth. So in chapter 1, verse 13, right back at the beginning, we saw that we were included in Christ when we heard the message of truth, the gospel. And then we believed it. That's how we first came to know and value the truth. And then later on in, in, in chapter 4, verse 25, having learned the truth, we now put off falsehood and we put on speaking the truth. This is one of the ways that we're to walk in the truth. God supplies the armour and we are to take it up and wrap ourselves in it. Knowing, valuing and walking in the truth is so important for us in this fight because the devil is an expert liar. I mean, just think about some of the things that the devil says to you from time to time. Things like, there is no God or you can't know for sure that there's a God. Or in the next breath, he might say, God doesn't love you. Or he might say, you can't know for sure that you're one of his chosen, that God loves you. Or he might say to us, it doesn't matter if you don't walk God's way, you'll be forgiven. Recently, in Tasmania, there were um, counterfeit $50 notes that were floating around. Now, if you know what the true $50 note looks like, it should be easy to spot the fake. Can anyone spot what's fake about this one? Look in the window at the stars. Now, the more familiar you are, you are with the truth, the more easy it is. I mean, I think they're actually liquid papered on there. When you know the true $50 note well, the lie is obvious. It's the same with the devil. It's impossible for us to catalogue all the lies that the devil could give us, speak to us. Our best defence against him is to know the truth so well and to value it so highly and to walk in it so consistently that the devil's lies become so easy to spot. We see the next bit of armour in verse 14. We stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This is, about, <clears throat> this is about being armoured with a way of living that's right for sons and daughters of God. It's about a way of living that's upright and it protects us against the devil. We've already seen this in this letter too. So in Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And in 5.10... Paul said, find out what pleases the Lord. Now, this is not talking about arming ourselves with self-righteousness, by the way, because God values humility and we're called to show humility. This is about knowing what God considers righteous. It's about valuing what God considers righteous and it's about walking in what God considers righteous. The next bit of armour we see in verse 15 we stand firm with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier, their, their shoes or sandals, 
were studded so that they wouldn't slip out on, on the ground when they're fighting. And the idea here is that we need to know the gospel and we need to value it and we need to walk ready to share the gospel and ready to live out the implications of the gospel. The devil loves it when Christians are confused about what the gospel is and confused about what it means for how they live and don't keep the gospel as their foundation for everything. Paul then says in verse 16, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Just pause there for a second. Do you see what this means? The devil will be firing flaming arrows at us, which means all this this armour, it's it's not just an optional extra. When I um, put on a motorbike helmet and, and leather jacket, I'm sort of hoping that it's an unnecessary optional extra, a kind of unnecessary precaution. And so far, over the last 20 years, that's, that's the way it's been. I've, I've never come off, so I haven't needed it. But taking up God's armour, it's not like that. It's not an optional extra, a precaution. We need these things all the time. Walking God's way means that we're involved in hand-to-hand combat with the devil daily. And so it's not so much a question of, of whether we're going to come to blows with the devil... It's more of a question of whether his blows are going to land on us with great damage because we're not protected or whether they're going to harmlessly hit the armour that God's provided for us. The devil is going to fire flaming arrows at us. Now back then, they would dip their arrows in pitch, set them alight and then fire them at each other. That's the kind of nice things that they did. If something like that hit you in the chest or in the face there's a good chance that you're not going to be able to stand firm at that time. The devil sends all sorts of temptations and sufferings and trials our way. And only faith will shield us. Faith is the same word for trust. Only knowing that God is trustworthy is going to shield us. And only only valuing that, that relationship of trust that we have with him is going to shield us. And only walking in a deep personal confidence in God is going to protect us. Without a personal relationship of faith in Jesus, we don't stand a chance. We see the last, the second last piece of us armour in, um, in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. What protects us and, and, and adorns us is that we know we're saved. We value the complete assurance that while ever we stick with Jesus, we are saved, God will save us. And we walk confident that it's just a matter of time before Jesus returns for us. And the final way that we stand firm is by taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this is the only weapon, of course, that's not just for defence. It's a short sword, but it's not just for defence, it's also for attack. The Holy Spirit brings us God's Word in Scripture and He leads us to understand and believe God's Word, knowing, valuing, walking daily in God's Word enables us to stand firm. So how are we going with taking up God's armour and putting it on? How are we going with that? 
It's, um, it's after Paul's talked about this that he tells us we need to be driven to prayer for all of these things, that we would armour ourselves with these things. So Paul finishes in verse 18 with a call to prayer. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, it's God's armour. He provides it. And we depend on Him completely. But He works in us, He answers our prayers by leading us to put on the armour that He provides. Are we doing that? Now, it's still quite abstract, even though I've talked about it. So I thought of a few questions. Now, there's heaps more that we could have. But a few questions for each each of the armour to help us really think that through and to drive us to keep praying, to ask God that we would put it on more and more. So truth. <clears throat> Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? And here's another way of sort of figuring that out. You know, if you've got kids or, or if a child was to ask you why Christians believe in the Trinity, would you know, would you have an answer? Or if someone was to say to you, why is sex just for marriage? Would you be able to answer that? Or, or why did Jesus need to die? But, but why do you have an answer? Why does God judge people? Or here's another question that might be able to help you see whether you're putting on God's armour. What was the last thoughtful Christian book that you read? And when? How did it help you to know God better? Or when it comes to righteousness, what area of godliness are you wrestling with at the moment? Does something come to mind? And who's helping you with that? Who's help you, helping you stay faithful in that wrestle? Or readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Can you explain the gospel simply, clearly, and passionately? And can you see some of the clear implications of the gospel in your life at the moment? Or when it comes to faith, if someone said, what do you love about Jesus? What would you say? I, um, I've got a great hairdresser, not so much because of my hair, but more because of the stories and sermon illustrations he gives me. But um, there's a few I'm saving up, actually. But uh, the other day... I, um, he, he, he says he's a Christian and I, um, I, I said to him, what do you love about Jesus? And he was stumped. He's never stumped. He's always got a story to tell. He had nothing to say. And I thought, that is so depressing. We cannot be like that. What do we love about Jesus? I mean, if, somebody, if you ask me, what do I love about Kathy? And I had nothing to say, that would be abysmal. What do you love about Jesus? If we can't speak for days and weeks, we've got more armour to, um, to be taking up. Or when it comes to salvation, if you died tonight, are you confident that you would go to heaven? If you're not, you don't have that helmet on and you need to figure it out. Or if you met Jesus there at the gate and he said, why should I let you into heaven? If you're not completely clear on that, you haven't got this armour on. And then finally, with the Word of God, are you reading your Bible regularly, aiming for daily? And not just sort of reading it as a chore, 
What's the Holy Spirit teaching you as you read His Word to you? See, we shouldn't be naive. Standing firm as God's people, it's not easy. In our church, in our marriages, in our work, the devil will be sending fiery arrows our way. Now, I'm almost certain that if I warned you that as soon as church ended, I was going to just pick up a, a crossbow and randomly fire an arrow into the crowd and you, and you thought I was crazy enough to do it, I'm almost certain that you would take precautions. Call Triple O, send those four guys out to tackle me again, or at least to slip away before the final song ended. Well, it's the same if I, if I knew I was going to come off the motorbike this day. Today's the day that I'm actually, after these 20 years, finally going to come off. I would have the helmet on, I would have the leather jacket and about five pillows stuffed into my clothes somewhere. We know, we're told the devil is going to be trying to get us to fall away from Jesus. We can't afford to be unprepared or overconfident or lazy in this. We need to know the truth and value it and walk in it and the same with righteousness, faith, fluency in the gospel assurance of salvation, and we need a strong handle on the Word of God. These are, these are essentials. Walking God's way step by step, lining up our storyline with God's storyline, it's a spiritual battle. But God has given us everything that we need to stand firm. So while we wait for Jesus to return and, and to finish completely the beautiful storyline that He's begun... We need to get ourselves ready by arming ourselves with what God has given us for the fight. It's hard. It's a struggle. But it's one that we know is worth it. Let's pray and ask God to equip us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have opened our eyes to see your storyline for this world. That it's all about Jesus. That it's all about him laying down his life to gather a people a new society, who are not holding on to their rights but are surrendering them for the sake of others, who are united in harmony and in purity. Lord, the ideal that you have painted, the reality that's going to come when Jesus returns is, is beautiful and yet what we see in our day-to-day -day often falls so short. Lord, help us to recognise that we need to stand firm in what you have called us to. And Lord, help us to see that we can't do it in our own strength. It's impossible. And so Lord, we ask that you would equip us with everything we need for this struggle. Lord, give us such a handle of, of the truth and on your word. And Lord, help us to be equipped with righteousness, living out what pleases you. Lord, help us to be so deep in our relationship with you that we're able to withstand anything the devil throws at us. And Lord, help us to know the gospel and be quick to speak it and to be quick to live out its implications in our lives. Lord, we need these things from you. We thank you for the way you've given them to us and we ask that you would keep giving them to us and helping us to put them on. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.